Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. It's hard to believe that in a couple of days, it's going to be September. In many ways, it feels like we've been stuck inside of March for six months. Six months since the pandemic pushed us into quarantine, social distancing, mask wearing, and so on, right? I, I've, I've heard so many people say it, and uh, in many ways it feels like we've been living the same day over and over and over again throughout this whole time. And, and yet, there are some things that have changed over these months. For example, do you remember when it was impossible to find toilet paper? I mean, that was a real scare, right? I mean, man, grocery stores were barren for several weeks when quarantine first started and everyone switched to being at home a lot more and, and, and all of that. It, it took a while for suppliers to adapt to new demands and, and finally get things back onto the shelves. But fortunately, that's not too much of a worry anymore. And yet, even though toilet paper is back, there are other things that, if I'm honest, have seemed to be in short supply throughout this pandemic. For example, it's been a lot more difficult to find joy during these days. I mean, even as we slowly return to some normal activities, things still aren't the same, right? I mean, there's a lot of anxiety over our activities and, and the knowledge that, that there are still many who are suffering uh, and, and being affected by this virus in, in some way us included. It's also felt a lot more difficult to find goodness, I think. You know, this past week unveiled another news cycle of police brutality and mob mentality. Violence, whether at the hands of a police officer, a rioter, or a young vigilante taking the law into their own hands, is something that we ought to lament and alongside this, the past two weeks have held the Democratic and Republican conventions, right? Just a, another reminder of our country's often bitter political divides. Goodness and joy have felt in short supply recently. As we continue wrestling with all the effects of the pandemic and the turmoil in our society, which is why I'm so glad that we are arriving at Psalm 16 today. Psalm 16, if you want to go ahead and open up there. Because this psalm is full of goodness and joy. And it shows us the way toward that joy. It reorients us to the source of goodness and joy. So, Let's read it together. Psalm 16, beginning in verse 1. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. 
their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your joy. I pray that as we consider the words of this psalm, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So look back over the psalm for just a moment and pay attention to these words. Good. Delight. Pleasant. Glad. Secure. Life. Fullness of joy pleasures forevermore. Man, unlike the toilet paper shelves six months ago, this psalm is fully stocked with all the things that have seemed to be in such short supply lately. Just like all the grocery store suppliers had to adapt to the new circumstances, so do we. And the psalmist shows us a way to keep things in stock so to speak. So I want to talk through this psalm together and see what the psalmist shows us and savor each piece of goodness and joy along the way. So how does the psalmist keep these things in stock? Well, the answer is in the first verse. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. You see, all of these good things come from a single source, God. The psalmist reiterates this in verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The psalmist begins by asserting that God alone is the source of goodness. And looking for fulfillment anywhere else is bound to fail. I have no good apart from you. There's no good apart from you. Now, there's another book of the Bible that actually does a case study on this, all right? Have you ever read Ecclesiastes? It seems to follow the story of King Solomon, who reigned at the height of Israel's power and splendor. 
He had endless resources at his disposal, and he made use of them in his little experiments. All right, in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, he outlines his pursuit of happiness. He starts off by going to parties. All right, he writes about laughter and wine. He's not going to take anything too seriously. He's just having fun. All right, he just lives a life of partying, but then party after party, he finally becomes exhausted and still not fulfilled. So he decides to move on. Next, he starts making things, right? He leaves the party scene and gets a job. He builds houses, he plants gardens, and he begins accumulating wealth. Right? This is not different from our own uh, life stages in, in America. Right? Once he becomes wealthy, he gets servants so that he doesn't have to work anymore. He buys flocks and herds, silver and gold. And without work and with plenty of resources, he decides to fill his time with entertainment and sex. And he writes, I became great. And I surpassed all who were before me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Right? He's gone from the party scene uh, or the party life to the work life to the easy life. And by now, he has all the money, sex, and power that he could want. In many ways, like I mentioned, he's living the American dream back in ancient Israel, right? He's gone from that party scene to the work scene to the easy life. But here's his assessment of everything. This is what he concludes after his little experiment. He says, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You see, he was looking for joy in all the wrong places, and his supply came up empty. And this is why the psalmist insists, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And then he goes on to warn in verse 4, Those who choose another God, multiply their sorrows. Those who chase after other gods multiply their sorrows. This time of pandemic has truly and genuinely been a challenge for many people, but I wonder if it has also laid bare some of our poor pursuits, some of our false gods. Maybe we've been trying to find goodness and joy in social activities, in work, wealth, and entertainment. And now that everything is disrupted, we're finding that our foundations were actually pretty weak. Only God can be a true refuge. There is no good apart from him. And so the psalmist sets himself fully on God. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. 
I have a goodly heritage. Other translations read, a beautiful inheritance. I have a beautiful inheritance. I love these verses. I mean, these two verses are beautiful poetry and, and just packed with things worth meditating and reflecting on. But, but there's a couple of things that I think can help us understand these verses a little bit better. Because these verses are using the language of ancient real estate, portion, lot, boundary lines, inheritance. This is talking about land. In fact, it's the exact language that's used throughout the second half of the book of Joshua when the tribes of Israel are receiving their land. Joshua 14 begins the description of all of this with, these are the inheritances that the Israelites received in the land of Canaan. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And the next several chapters outline the various ways that those boundary lines were placed for each tribe. But I want you to put on your Sunday school cap, all right? There, there's one tribe that didn't get any land. Do you remember which one? It was the Levites. Instead of getting land, the Levites were in charge of tending to the tabernacle and then later to the temple, the meeting place of God. So Joshua 13, 33 explains to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance. You see, they didn't have big houses and gardens like Solomon. They didn't have a plot of land like other tribes. They only had the Lord. The Lord was their portion. They didn't have an inheritance to pass on. The Lord was their inheritance. And this is what the psalmist is saying about himself. The Lord is my portion. And this transforms the meaning of verse 6, right? When he says the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, he's not looking around at his nice plot of land and thinking, boy, life sure is great right now. I really did luck out, right? Uh, no, he's saying like the Levites, my portion is God. Pleasant places has nothing to do with what he has or doesn't have. It doesn't have anything to do with his circumstances for good or for bad. He's talking about God. A beautiful inheritance is not referring to a big fat 401k that he's going to pass down to his kids. He's talking about the Lord. The Lord is his portion. The Lord is his pleasant place. The Lord is his inheritance, his good heritage. This, I think, is a challenge to us because we have nice houses. We have pleasant places to live. And many have retirement accounts to live off and to pass on. But this psalm tells us that those are not reliable sources of goodness or joy, for there is no good apart from God. So what does this mean for us? 
Does it mean that we ought to liquidate our investments, sell our homes, and wander around proclaiming that the Lord is our portion? Well, maybe, actually. There are plenty of Christians who have responded to God that way. But you don't have to become a monk to follow God. Following Jesus is not ultimately about divesting yourself from stuff, but rather fully investing yourself in the kingdom. Following Jesus is not ultimately about divesting yourself, but rather fully investing yourself in the kingdom. And being fully invested in the kingdom transforms everything. It changes the way that we view our stuff and will likely lead us to getting rid of some of it so that we can live more generously. But it also changes the way that we see our circumstances and our experiences. Look, if God is our portion, if he is our source of goodness and joy, then we will no longer evaluate things by the comfort or the power that they bring to us, but rather by the glory that they bring to God. Just think of Paul. I mean, look at what he says about all of his assets, all of the good qualities that he has. Uh, in, in Philippians, he writes, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. In his cultural upbringing, he has every reason to rely on all of these things that offer him power and influence. And yet, he regards them as loss because of Christ. But he doesn't only reject these things that bring him power. He also pursues or, or at least experiences and encounters things that bring him pain. It's as if he's lost his mind. In 2 Corinthians 11, he writes, Five times I've received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And then in the very next chapter, he goes on to say, Yet I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. So Paul rejects his power and yet boasts in his weakness. And all of this was for the sake of Christ. And Jesus is the one who embodies this perfectly. 
He did not chase after a big crowd or heavy wallet, a comfortable home or a powerful position because he knew that there was no goodness or joy apart from his father. And yet for the sake of that joy that was set before him, he went to the cross, disregarding its shame. And he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection is a picture of the transformation that comes from knowing that there is no good apart from God. And that's why Peter preached the second half of this psalm that we're looking at today on the day of Pentecost, when he proclaimed Jesus' death and resurrection to the crowd that was before him. In Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, and he applies these words to Jesus. I keep the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure, for you do not give me up to Sheol, or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. God did not give Jesus up to Sheol or abandon him to death. In the resurrection, Jesus walked the path of life and now sits at his Father's right hand forevermore. I've said this in weeks past, and I'll say it again. This psalm is about Jesus. And yet, it's appropriate that Peter would preach this psalm on the day of Pentecost. Because when the Spirit came to fill God's people, thousands were baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus as he showed them the path of life and filled them with his presence where there is fullness of joy. And from that day, a movement erupted that had those people gathering in each other's homes, breaking bread and praying together as awe and wonder filled their hearts. It had them sending others out to other towns and cities and even countries to tell other people about this good news of great joy. And over the course of a couple thousand years and several thousand miles, that good news is now proclaimed in federal way, in Auburn, in Kent, in Edgewood, in Milton, Tacoma, Seattle. You get the point. This psalm is about Jesus, but it's also about us. By the Holy Spirit, God continues to show us the path of life, fill us with the fullness of joy, and join us to Christ, who is at his right hand, where there are pleasures forevermore. And so here's my word to you 
today. If your shelves are empty of goodness, delight, pleasure, and joy, you might just have the wrong supplier. Because in this world, those things are often out of stock. But in Christ, they are endless. Even when we're carrying crosses. Joy is not the absence of pain or problems, but rather the presence of God. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May God show us the path of life and lead us in the way of Christ. Amen.